So this Sunday, we conclude our sermon series, The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And thus far, two weeks ago, we saw the biblical importance of doing God's work in God's way. And then last week, we started applying that to church structure, looking specifically at the role of elder. And we do not have time to summarize all the points we saw about elders last week, but in brief, we saw that in what God has told us in his word about his way for his local churches, he established elders as the position of leadership and oversight in the church. And if you do want more on that, I just encourage you, please, if you haven't yet, listen to last week's message, and especially uh, take one of these sheets home that are in the foyer that we, we handed out, or that was in the foyer last week. These are on elders in the New Testament, all the Bible verses and more we covered, so you can study this all on your own. So that was last week about elders. But now this week, we finish our series, as you can see in the sermon title, talking about deacons and the congregation. But with that said, we will jump right into it. And as with last week, there will be a decent amount of information this morning, but we'll pick up right where we left off. So we talked about elders as the oversight group, but now concerning deacons and the congregation, we'll have three sections this morning, three sections together. First, we're gonna ask, what does God say deacons do? And then second, we'll ask, and what does God say deacons are to be like? And then third and finally, we'll briefly look at how this all relates to the congregation. So in some very basic, first, what do deacons do? Second, what are they supposed to be like? And then third, the congregation. Which brings us to our first section. And again, here we are asking, what does God say deacons do? And if you remember, if you heard last week, we asked the same exact question last week with elders. And we saw there a good amount of verses in the New Testament where elders are mentioned and where God says that they, quote, oversee, quote, manage, shepherd, rule, lead, and care for God's church. But I say all that because now, when it comes to deacons and what God says they do in the church, as we saw briefly last week, there is only one verb in the whole New Testament, one verb. And it shows up twice here in 1 Timothy 3. And for this, we won't reread this whole paragraph yet. Instead, we're just gonna look at this one verb that God uses for deacons, what they do in the church, and it's in verse 10 and verse 13. So look down your Bibles and read verse 10 and verse 13. And let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So so as you can see, the verb used for what God says deacons do is that word serve, serve. And as we said last week, this this is significant because this comes right after Paul talking about elders in verses one through seven. In those verses, elders are said to be overseers and they manage and care for God's church. And then in that same exact context, Paul now talks about deacons and how they serve. And as we showed last week in verse 13, importantly, he says specifically that they are to serve well, which that word well can also and probably better be translated as beautifully. And so this service of deacons is a beautiful thing. It is a big blessing to God's church. And on that verb serve in Greek, this is the verb diakoneo from where we get our word deacon. And the word literally means to be at service or to wait at table. And so in brief, that's what deacons do according to God here. But, but now to go a little bit deeper on this, 
I want us to know that although this is the only verb that God uses for what deacons do in the New Testament in the church, this also, I want you to know, was a really common verb that was used a lot of other places in the New Testament. It's used for all of us as Jesus' followers, it's used for the apostles, and it's even used for Jesus himself. And if we had more time, we would go to many other places showing how this word is used. And on the deacon sheet that I will put in back after the sermon that will be available in the foyer, I'm gonna list, I listed a lot of sampling places in the New Testament where this word is used. But the point for us now is that this does show up a lot in the New Testament. For example, people like Mary and Martha serve like this. Then Jesus calls all of his disciples the greatest to be those who serve like this. Same word. Then the apostles are said to serve like this. And then biggest of all, Jesus himself humbly serves like this. As when he famously said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, both of which are a form of the verb diakoneo, and which shows us that the ultimate example of this deacon-like being at service was Jesus' death for his people on the cross. And so I bring all that up because that then means that when it comes to the role of deacon, saying that they simply serve, as God does here in 1 Timothy 3, is certainly not meant to be demeaning. It is meant to be a beautiful thing. And that's because yes, in one sense, it is the humble being at service role, but then importantly, and in another Jesus-like sense, this is a very honorable thing. That's why they can serve beautifully in the church, not just because the church has needs and needs people to serve, but mainly because each deacon is called to be an official living example of Jesus-like service in his assemblies. So that's very simply what God says deacons do. They are at service, they serve. Which then brings us to talk about how we would then apply all that to a local church. And so as I've been saying throughout this whole series, remember our goal here is to be as robustly biblical as possible. And as a quick side note, in case you're wondering, we will get to Acts 6 later in the message. But first, before we do that, we need to come and apply this. So in God's word, deacons serve. That's what God's told us. And so for us, in trying to follow God's structure in our church, now that we've all seen together through these two weeks what these two offices do according to the Bible, elders and deacons, our goal then is to have them relate as biblically as possible. And very simply, now that you've seen all the verbs that God uses for deacons and elders yourself in these last two weeks, I think we could all agree that we can very simply put put church structure this way. First, the church is the people. And then second, the elders oversee, manage, lead, shepherd, rule the church and the people. And then third, deacons are at service. They serve the church and the people. So that being said, but how we very practically apply all what God has said then is to just simply do our best to make sure that that's the case, right? That the congregation is the people, that the elders are the ones leading, overseeing, and managing, and that deacons are serving. That's, that's our goal. And as we do this, I, I do think we need to be weary of two common models of church structure that have happened over time 
with this role of elder and deacon. And these especially have happened in a lot of evangelical churches, which is why I mentioned them. And one, I'll admit it, is a little somewhat similar to the way our bylaws lean right now. And the first model to be wary of is what we may call the the pastor-deacon model. The pastor-deacon model. And on this, to be really honest, it's often been senior pastors who push this, and often because they want a lot more say in the church. And in this case, what's going on is the, the senior pastor is the one who really oversees and leads and manages the church, and then they have a deacon board kind of underneath them. You see how common that's become. But now that you've seen what God has said for these roles, elders and deacons, yourself and God's word, do you see how that really doesn't fit? And that's because first, the senior pastor is supposed to be surrounded by a group of elders, overseers, shepherds who are equal in their management of the church as the group. And then second, this also doesn't fit what God has said for deacons because deacons aren't ever said to oversee in the New Testament. That's the elders, they're to serve according to God and his word. And so that's one model that doesn't really fit with the biblical evidence, but then for another model that doesn't really fit, and this is the one that I think our current bylaws kind of lean toward, it's what we may call the board business model, the board's business model. And now on this, churches will follow God's word with a group of elders that do oversee But then for various reasons, what happens over time is that this elder group or board starts to oversee a certain area, like spiritual things, and then a deacon group or board starts to oversee a different area, often physical things or things like the property. But again, do you see how, now that you've seen all the verbs that God uses for deacons and elders in the Bible, do you see how that really doesn't line up with what God has told us in his word? Because, because again, once again, God has told us that elders lead, manage, oversee, while deacons are simply but beautifully given this verb, serve. And so to make them oversee technically any area puts them in a position that God has only told us for elders. And moreover, elders are over, over, told to oversee the whole church, the whole, like their own household, even its resources in Acts 11. And so again, in how we apply all this, God's verbs and what he has actually said must be our emphasis. And it's a somewhat of a, of a side note on this. I know this is a lot, and I hope you're sticking with me, but it's somewhat of a side note, but I hope this is actually, I think this is pretty important. This is why I also believe, and I encourage you right now to consider this for yourself as you're sitting there. This is why I really do believe that calling elders and deacons boards is actually quite unhelpful as we try to follow God's structure in his church. Stick with me. And the reason for this is not, not just because it's a business word. Instead, it's because, think about this with me. First, concerning elders. If and when we decide to call them a board, it's not only not a Bible word, but more important, when we do that, What often happens is that calling them a board rather than just the elders is that it makes these group of men sound so businessy and boss-like and less approachable, which simply isn't biblical nor helpful. And so think with me, calling them just God's wordage of elders is much more biblical and preferable to avoid that unnecessary business-mindedness in the flock as they relate to the elders. But that's honestly less of a big deal. What is, however, a bigger deal as we try to follow what God has said in his word is I think calling deacons a deacon board. 
Because really, now think about this with me. Test it for yourself. So, so now that we've seen the verbs that God uses for elders and deacons, and the verb that he uses for deacons is serve, having a deacon board over time subtly leans away from that. Because ask yourself this, what happens when we use this business word board for a group? Well, almost naturally, most people assume some sort of group leadership or oversight for the board. But again, God in his word just never says that for the role of deacons. And so I know that's a lot, but I hope you're seeing that we're not really just splitting hairs here. Instead, as we're trying to be as robustly biblical as possible and following what God has actually said, terminology really does matter. It has implications in the church. And so we should simply call the elders the elders, and we should say that each deacon is a servant who is at service. So that's what deacons do. God says they serve. And one final thing on this before we do move on to our second section. Just so you know, this is also why in these weeks I've been saying that God's way for church structure in God's way, deacons are individual men and women who serve in their respective areas. Because it is clear in the Bible that deacons are not deacons because of any oversight, but because they are at service. And so that's why you'll see many Bible-believing churches trying to follow God's word here. What they do is they start to define each deacon, saying what each deacon's service is, like having a deacon of finances or a deacon of hospitality or a deacon of facilities, because that then defines how and where they are at service. They serve. And then as for the deacons ever meeting together, because each of their roles as deacons is to serve, they won't really meet as a large group because they don't have large group decisions to make because that would be the role of elders. Instead, a couple of them would probably meet every once in a while, like if the deacons of hospitality needed to meet with the deacons of facilities to talk about something. But normally, I hope you're seeing, to follow God's way of church structure, each deacon serves in their respective areas under the oversight of the elder group. So I know it's a lot, but I appreciate you sticking with us, which finally leads to our second question this morning. So we asked, what do deacons do? But now we'll ask, and what does God say deacons are to be like? And for this, we're still in 1 Timothy 3, and now here, we're gonna read this whole paragraph, and that's because here, like with elders last week, we're gonna see a lot of qualifications. And if we had more time, we could dig into each one of these, and I encourage you to do so on your own. But for our sake this morning, let's read this paragraph asking what does God say deacons are to be like, and then I'll make four quick observations followed by one big practical observation. So look down at your Bibles, 1 Timothy 3, verses eight through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So to begin, four quick observations on what deacons are to be like according to God here. First, and so I know, for the first one, I know we've spent a long time so far in this message on what deacons do so far. Notice though for yourself that God, through the Apostle Paul, actually doesn't spend a long time on that. Instead, what's this, the majority of this paragraph about? Not the deacon's ability to serve, 
but their godliness. And so for us, this then is a really important and overarching point for us to take away because this means, above all, what matters in a deacon actually isn't how good they are or able to serve the church. Instead, what matters most is their godliness. Their service is what they do, but what qualifies them as a deacon is their godliness. So that's the first observation. So he says second. And now for this, look down and notice those first two qualifications that Paul lists in verse eight. First, deacons must be dignified, meaning honorable. But then second, and importantly, deacons, quote, must be not doubled, not double-tongued. <laughs> not double-tongued. In the ESV, you can see for yourself in the footnote, this could maybe be translated as not devious in speech. And I point this one out because most scholars will note that this is unique because this isn't a qualification that's actually listed for the elders. And so the question is, why would Paul list this toward the top for deacons? And the answer most likely is, think about it, because it's so important as someone who serves the church, especially after Paul just talked about the elder leadership of the church and the group of elders, it's so important to make sure that a deacon is not double-tongued, not devious in speech. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because Paul just talked about the position of authority in the elder leadership and oversight group, and so now he turns right away to talk about the position of service, the only other office in the entire church, and deacons, and for the sake of church unity. He right away says that a big part, a qualification of being a deacon is making sure that you're not double-tongued. So it's the third observation. And now quickly for this, notice that while deacons are never said that they have to be able to teach like elders, Yet they still, verse nine, must hold to the, faith, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And then at the end of verse 13, God says that because of their service, they'll gain more confidence in Christ. And so the point is that although these deacons don't need to be teachers, they are still in the Bible here to be really solid men and women in their faith. So it's the fourth and final quick observation. And for this, now notice verse 10. So verse 10 there, Paul says that deacons are to be tested first. And now this one's significant because again, this is another qualification that surprisingly isn't listed for elders. And so think about it, why might that be? Well, probably because before being an official deacon in a church, someone certainly can still serve the church. And so the point is that for official deacons, for those who are official church servants, the idea here is to let them serve the church for a while. And then once they prove their service and their godliness, then they could become official deacons. And so that's the four quick observations on what God says deacons are to be like. There's a lot more in there, that's just four quick observations, but that finally leads to our final and biggest observation and practical application for us on all this. And this isn't the biggest in our paragraph there per se, but it's perhaps the biggest practically for us and our church. And it's that here men and women in the Bible are to be equal deacons. Men and women are to be equal deacons. And this is significant because as we talked about last week, men only in the Bible are to be elders, especially because we never see a female elder or pastor in the whole New Testament. But then when it comes to the office of service, not the office of authority and the office of deacon, I believe God shows us that equally, both men and women can be amazing deacons in the New Testament church. 
And for some of you, that may be something you've always believed, while for others of you, that may be totally new. And, and so to try to prove this, here's just three quick proofs that I think show that men and women are equal deacons in the New Testament. Three quick proofs. First, the first is the smallest, but it's that while God does say that men only are to have authority in the church in the New Testament, he doesn't ever say that about women and women serving as deacons. And so that's the surface level, but on the, on the surface, it's not commanded against. But that's not that strong of a proof. But then second, for some stronger evidence, look down now at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.11. 1 Timothy 3.11, verse 11 there. And if we had more time, we could study this in more depth, but as you can see, the ESV starts with, in verse 11, their wives likewise must. But most literally, as you can see in the ESV footnote, and important for you to know, is that first, that word there, T-H-E-I-R, is not there in the original Greek at all. And then second, we need to know that that word wives is simply the word woman, because in Greek, wife and woman were the exact same word. And so literally, verse 11 starts with Paul saying, woman likewise, or wives likewise. And so that being said, we have two options here. First, this could be talking about the qualification for deacons' wives, or second, it could be talking about women deacons. And some people argue it's talking about deacons' wives, but here's the big issue with that. The Bible never does that with elders. And, and, and Paul never talks about elders' wives as a qualification. And his, and his elder is the oversight leadership position in the church, and it's talked about significantly more in the New Testament. It'd be really strange for Paul to all of a sudden talk about deacons' wives as a qualification, but never talk about elders' wives. And so instead, I think it makes more sense that this should be translated simply, which would be the simplest translation as woman likewise, showing that women can be deacons in this paragraph. Which leads to the third and I think most persuasive proof that women can be deacons. And for this, now turn me to Romans 16. We are done in 1 Timothy 3 for the morning, so you can turn there. Romans 16, just verse one. This will be about 50 pages or so to the left in your Bible if you're in 1 Timothy 3. Romans chapter 16, Verse one. And we go here because it's one thing, think about this, it's one thing for me to say that women can be deacons according to the New Testament. But then the question is, do we ever see female deacons in the New Testament? And this is again, especially significant because we talked about last week, we don't ever see a female elder or pastor in the whole New Testament. But do we see female deacons? Well, I think the answer is yes, we do, and it's here in Romans 16.1. So look down to your Bibles, Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a sister of the church, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencrea. So as you can see, this woman Phoebe here is called our sister. But then importantly, Paul goes on to say that she's, quote, a servant of the church at Sencrea. And that word servant there is the word diakonos. And while that word simply can mean servant, the reason this really seems to be talking about an official deacon here is because you can see it, that phrase that Paul decides to use for Phoebe. Because notice it yourself, Paul first starts with this vague Christian description of Phoebe saying she's our sister, which is more typical. But then right after that, Paul is introducing this sister Phoebe to the Romans and he calls her 
a servant of the church at Sancria and literally a deacon of the church at Sancria. And, and more important than how that just officially sounds, is that I want you to know that some scholars have looked into this type of phraseology in the early church writings right after the New Testament and they found that whenever the phrase a blank of the church at city is used in the early Christian writings after the New Testament, it's always talking about an official position in the church. And therefore, it really seems Paul's doing that here. Plus a few more reasons for support. First, as you can see, Phoebe here is doing classic, humble, deacon at service-like work. Because what she's doing is she's transporting this letter from Paul to the Romans. And then second, this is all confirmed by post-New Testament church writings too, as we definitely know that as early as 110 AD, the early church had women deacons. And so the point for us is that while God says that men only are to be elders, the New Testament teaches that men and women equally can be amazing deacons. And on this one last thing as a sort of side note, this is also why calling women deacons is probably best and helpful. Just using calling them deacons because we, we can go ahead and use the English word deaconess but if we do so, we have to realize that in God's word, which is what we care about, it is the same exact position in the church. And, and, and therefore, just as a man or a woman might be called the word servant, so a man or a woman deacon, for the sake of clarity, probably should just be called a deacon. And this is especially because if we do use a different word, right, if we call one gender deacon, the other gender deaconess, what can happen, and often does happen, is we subtly start to think of them as two different positions. And often what happens, which is not a good thing, is that the men deacons subtly become the higher position in the church. But in God's word, men and women are equal deacons, and they're such a blessing to the church. So all that said, that is what God says about deacons, about what they do, about what they are to be like. Which finally brings us, knows a lot, to one last text on all of this about deacons before we look to the congregation, and that's Acts 6. Acts 6. So please turn with me there if you can. Acts 6. This would be about 40 pages to the left if you're in Romans. Acts chapter 6. And if you are familiar with studying deacons in the Bible, you've probably been wondering why it's taken us so long to go here. <laughs> but, but I will show why in a second. I'll show you in a second. So Acts chapter 6. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. We'll read it. And then we will talk about the similarities that this story has to the role of deacons, but then also some key differences. Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. Look down at your Bibles. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they had said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as you can see, this is very early on in Acts. 
And in this story, something's going wrong in the Jerusalem church as some people are being neglected in their daily food distribution from the church. And right away there, I hope you know that we get a similarity to the role of deacon because that word distribution there is the word diakonos. And so this is a food service that's being neglected. Daily service, daily distribution. And then what happens is that the apostles cannot spend all the time they need on this, and so they have the congregation appoint men to serve in this way. Which again is a big similarity because these men then literally serve tables, which is exactly what the word diakoneo means, and it is the word diakoneo there. And then the, the apostles officially commission these men, and then finally, as a result of this, the apostles are able to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word, and the church is overall healthier. And so that's the story. And because of all this, many people then look at Acts 6 and want to say that it's the founding of the office of deacon. But here's why I waited to go so long here together this morning. So test this for yourself. So yes, it is true that there are similarities here, but also we have to say it's true that number one, God never explicitly says this is establishing the office of deacon, especially because I hope you know the office of deacon never shows up in the whole book of Acts in a church. And then number two, it's because there's some key differences here from what we see about deacons later in the New Testament, showing that this passage probably isn't technically about elders and deacons. But test this for yourself, stick with me. As for those differences, first, yes, the word diakonos is used in verse one for serving tables, but then, importantly, diakonos is used again by Luke in verse four for the apostles. They have a diakonos, a ministry, a service, same word, of the word and prayer. And so in this passage, technically, these seven men and the apostles are both at service. They're both deaconing, if you will. And then second, so yes, these seven men are chosen to serve tables here, but then, as you might know the story of Acts, after they serve tables here, right after this, they certainly don't look like just deacons from the New Testament. And that's because Luke right away shows that Stephen, right after this verse, starts doing signs and wonders. <laughs> and then in chapter seven, the whole chapter, Stephen is preaching and teaching. And this is also true of Philip, who in Acts becomes an evangelist and a preacher and a teacher. But then there's the third, and I think the most significant difference. And this is important. Notice that in God's providence, he doesn't have Acts 6 as a picture of elders and deacons in a church. It's not there. And it's on this that I think we need to be really careful. Because when we do theology, we so often want things to fit into our boxes. <laughs> but in reality, God in his providence doesn't have elders and deacons here. Instead, this is the very, very early church in Jerusalem. And as you can see in verse one, all the 12 apostles are still being, all the 12, uh, verse two, the 12 apostles are still here and, and they don't have the time to go and serve tables and do it all. So the apostles do appoint these seven men, they're only men here, to serve tables. And so on the one hand, that is very similar to the service that deacons do. But in another sense, God never says that this is the office of deacon, especially because as you can see, there are no elders in this story, and especially because deacons as an office are never mentioned by Luke in the whole book of Acts. And so we could spend more time on that, and I encourage you to test it by yourself, but the point is that we need to be really careful to not take this story and then make jumps to our own ideas about church structure and then go to places in our church structure that the Bible doesn't technically go. Right, because this is important. 
Because this means, for example, that we can't take Acts 6 and what God intended through, the, through Luke here and say that deacons oversee physical things while elders oversee spiritual things because that's just not what God teaches in his word as deacons are never given the verb oversee. And again, elders just aren't in this passage in Acts 6. Nor should we take this and say that, only, that elders only care about prayer in the word. Now, of course, elders must care about prayer in the, in the word, but this is the apostles here in Acts 6, not elders. And elders elsewhere, even in Acts, manage all of God's church, including its resources coming up in Acts chapter 11. And so test that by yourself. We're just trying to be faithful to God's word. But the point is that Acts 6 is very helpful in giving us a picture of deacon-like service. But in God's actual words, God does not tell us that this is about the roles of elder and deacon. It has similarities as these men step up to humbly and beautifully serve God's church, but there are key differences. So that's deacons, what they do and who they are. But that finally brings us to the congregation. And this will be brief, this will be brief. And only one text this morning, but we'll look at it and see where the congregation fits in this all. And for this, we will be in Ephesians chapter four. So if you wanna turn there, our last place together, Ephesians four, verses 11 through 16. If you're in Acts, this is about 70 to 80 pages to the right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter four. And I do promise this will be brief. And the reason that it will be brief is because we essentially spent our whole We Are the Church sermon series before this talking about the congregation and how the church is the people. I wanna be clear on that. The church is not the elders. The church is not the deacons. The church is the people gathering who trust in Jesus Christ. And so in a sense, as you're tracking now, this finally brings us full circle because now in these two sermon series, we've talked about Jesus' plan for his assembly, his church, the importance of membership because the members in the church are technically the church. And then we talked about elders and deacons, which is the nitty gritty and the structure of the church. But now we're going back to the congregation itself. And so now to see the congregation and all this, look down your Bibles. We're gonna read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, but we're gonna start just in verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. And he, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for for building up the body of Christ. So as you can see in verse 11, there's these different giftings in the church, but then in verse 12, we see the reason for these giftings. And I think we can apply this to church structure and God's gifts that we've seen of the two offices of elder and deacon. And what's the reason for it all? Verse 12, quote, to equip the saints, which is all believers, for the work of ministry. And so that's the point, church. It is the congregation who does the work of ministry or the work of service. Meaning all of this is so that the congregation can serve one another, can serve the world, and can serve Jesus Christ really well. And this is seen as Paul continues. And for this, let's now read verses 13 through 16. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so again, this is also that the congregation can do ministry, and now so that the church can be more mature in verse 13, and so that the church cannot be tossed here and there in verse 14, and finally so that the church can be an overall more loving, healthy, growing church in verses 15 and 16. And so that's really where the congregation fits in all this talk about structure. Yes, along with this, the congregation in the New Testament also has authority over its members like we did this morning. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 5 in our We Are the Church series. And yes, although it is not explicit in the New Testament, I believe the, new, the congregation has the authority to vote on its elders and deacons since the congregation is the church. But besides that, the congregation fits in all this about church structure because what we just read is what this has always really been about. It's about having a healthy, mature, growing church of Jesus Christ. And to achieve that, structure, of course, really matters. I hope we've all seen that. Because without a healthy and biblical church structure, there will be more division and the church won't be as healthy. But, hear this, this is important after these three weeks. The goal of church structure, good church structure, is not good church structure. (laughs) The goal of church structure is a healthy, growing, maturing, ministering local church of Jesus Christ. And so that's elders, deacons, and the congregation. But now as we close, let me just share two final applications on this and we'll be done. One for the church and one for you personally. First, for our application now as a church, with us now seeing, I hope pretty clearly, God's way of church structure, our goal will be to soon implement all this. All because God has really said this in his word and so we know it's for our good. And so when we'll start to look to start editing our bylaws and implementing this as a congregation early next year, which is why the emphasis on membership comes first because it's the members of this church who will choose to implement this. But then on as specifically as a church, now that we've looked into these two roles of elder and deacon in the New Testament, I do think that as we try to implement this very practically, Since God only decided to have two official church positions in his churches, we should try to only have two official church positions in our churches. Now, 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 even as I say that, I know for business purposes, we we may need to specify some of those titles, but what many Bible-believing churches, after seeing all this in God's word, now try to do is that if there is any specific position that that we think we need, then it should fall under this framework that God has given us of elders and deacons. And so for example, if we need some sort of treasurer, which we do, then our goal in time should be that it should be an elder or a deacon, and probably a deacon who serves under the oversight of the elders, and we may call them, quote, a deacon of finances, and so on. But again, God only has two offices, so why would we add to that? So that's the first application for us as a church, but now for you personally, as a first quick application, similar to what we saw last week, and that's simply to go and to look into all this yourself. I just encourage you to do this. And on this, as with the elders last week, now this week, get more paper if you want to take home. I have two, we have two cardstock nice sheets with uh, deacons and elders with verses that we covered this morning, plus many more that I encourage you to go study on your own. So they'll be in the foyer after the service. But finally, for each of us to apply all this personally, 
Now with this series covered, I just hope that we can each now leave here encouraged. Encouraged. And, and that's because I know these six weeks of church membership and church structure haven't been the most entertaining or fun. But now with all that covered, I just hope you're encouraged that you know that God really, of course, deeply cares about you and God deeply cares about his churches, about this church. And so I know we still have to apply a lot of this, appointing elders, Lord willing, soon. Then we'll have to edit some of our bylaws. But I really hope that we all leave here encouraged, knowing what we've seen from God's word and knowing that if we really implement and follow God's way, it will bring more health, happiness, unity, and Lord willing growth to our church. And so I hope as your pastor that we can now go forth from these two series more unified on who we are as the church, more excited for where we are going together, and more encouraged, again, as we know that God really cares about each of us and he cares about this church here at ECC.